I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. So in the interest of establishing as much continuity and as little time as possible, if you did not listen to last week's episode, you should definitely do that before listening to this one, because this week is the second half of my interview with Sengar Khalil. Uh, Last week, our conversation focused more on Senga's start as a fixer and his work during Mosul's liberation, as well as um, his insight towards what the role of a fixer means in the world of international reporting. This week, we'll be focusing uh, more on how Sengar has dealt with loss and trauma during his time as a fixer and the kind of toll that the job can take on people in his line of work. So with that out of the way, uh, please check out last week's episode if you haven't, and here's the rest of our conversation. Speaking um, personally, I think grief for me somewhat has the effect of wanting to um, uh, uh, push people away and not necessarily wanting to trust or continue to make connections. And that's uh, it's a very natural reaction that a lot of people have. It's a psychological defense mechanism uh, that exists. But you can't afford to do that. So I was wondering if you've reconciled with that push and pull of wanting to be reclusive after loss versus needing to continuously put yourself out there. And then in doing that, understand that you may lose people, like those people too, you may lose, you will continue to lose people due to the nature of your work. Um, having, uh, uh, especially in Iraq, you know, like having lots of friends, it's, uh, or lots of contacts, you know, like and connections is, is actually, I, th- I see it as a very good thing because mm-hmm. you get to know politics or everything you know like from all angles from all sides you know like you know like even like on social media you know like you follow them they follow you your friends and and you know about what they thinking you know about like the ideas and also it has a, a sad side you know like very tragic you know like when it's a tragic you know because you open the social media and then you see a photo with a black line in the corner, you know. Um, our story is not even finished about him. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend days, you know, like, um, uh, to, to be with him, you know, like, and the, the book or the, the story is not even published yet, you know, like, you feel terrible and, like, you're losing these people, these guys, you know, like this. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, other people, like, you spend, like, days and days, you know, like, with them in the front lines, like, sleeping in the same room, you know, like, with a bunch of those guys, you know, like, uh, uh, what you, you, you don't know, like, for how long you're going to sleep, you know, like, you, get, you hear shooting again, you know, like, you have to wake up again, you know, like, and, um, and losing those guys, you know, like, so it's, it's not easy to have uh, uh, all those contacts, and it's not easy to control, to to balance to get in touch you know like to uh and for me to be honest uh, i feel like uh i try to do my best but super busy with work i always like work i'm always on the field and i don't check my social media that much you know so to just be in touch with them on social media or like call them Mm -hmm. um but uh 
thankfully the they, they they give me respect, you know, like when I call them for something, you know, like for a contact in the area, you know, like what's what's going on in your neighborhood, what's going on in your town, in your village, you know, so uh, they could in that. Well, and you talk about uh, people who you've spent trenches with and for days and days, uh, uh, and you've mentioned in past interviews, uh, Sigar Shahab, uh, for example, uh, as someone who you were very close with and then passed away. Uh, could you... Tell me a little more about him and your connection with him and how that affected you. Well, Sigar Shahab, I, I I know his family like from before, you know, like when we were in Mosul, like he's from uh, a very good family and known family. And then I met Sigar uh, in 2014, you know, like uh, yeah, a journalist contacted me and he was like, I want to meet some guys, you know, like... Uh, who are in the trench. I was like, okay, these guys are from Mosul. They are waiting to go home. So that was the day I met Sagara and it was like, uh, he was very nice. He was the closest to me. We became, I think, uh, we were feeling that we know each other for like 20 years, you know, like, um, uh, we were always together. And like, whenever I was going to Mosul, even after the liberation of Mosul, Mm -hmm. I was just going to visit him, you know, like our smoking shisha with him, you know, like, or going to a cafe uh, or visiting him in a base, you know, like last time I saw him, I visited him in a base, you know, so, uh, uh, and he gave me some dates, you know, and sweets. Uh, we had like some jokes and conversations with the guys. Then a couple of days after that, they went on a mission, you know, like in the, uh, in south of Mosul to look for some ISIS sleeper cells. And I was shocked that uh, one of the guys called me and he was like, uh, we lost Sigar. You know, it was very emotional for me because it was not on social media in the beginning. You know, like we didn't know what's happening, but we knew there's like uh, clashes, you know, like in the in south of Mosul. Um, but once I, uh, I got a call, I got a call. I didn't call. I got a call in like from our friend, you know, like uh, me and Sigar's friend, you know, like who's also um, a fighter, you know, like, and he was like, crying and we lost Sigar. So, um, yeah, I mean, I did not, I couldn't control myself that day, actually. I didn't know what, what to do, you know, because um, I stayed, like, weeks with him, you know, like, years, actually, you know, like, but weeks, you know, like, sleeping, uh, giving me uh, his bed, you know, like, and he was sleeping on the floor, you know, like, went back and he was in the base, you know, like, where we were going, like, we were embedding, you know, like, into a house. He was like always like giving us like me and the journalists with me in like mattresses and stuff like that. And he was ready to to just sleep on the floor without a mattress, you know, like uh, he was one of the nicest guys and he was a really, really tough fighter. He was one of the toughest fighter. He was always, uh, uh, yeah, he was uh, giving more motivation and moral in like to his guys also in like in the front lines and even like after like when it was coming down, calming down, you know, like he was just making jokes and laughs, you know, like if they did not lose any guy, you know, so yeah, for me losing Sigur and there are lots of uh, 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 friends and brave fighters, you know, like I lost, you know, including like, uh, in the police, in the Iraqi army, in Peshmerga, you know, so it was... Uh, it was for me. Sigur was like a big shock because 
it was after the liberation, it should be okay and it should be fine. You know, like they, these guys, you know, like they should... Because during the war in Mosul, like we were walking around dead bodies, you know, like you could see like people are dying, you know, like... To be honest, it was like a trauma and we kind of got used to it, you know, like, oh, this one died, you know, like, and that one died, you know, like, we're getting a phone call from relatives. We have a relative, you know, like, uh, uh, who passed away. For me, because I am seeing death, I am among death, it was like kind of uh, got used to it, you know, but uh, Sugar was like, after the liberation, he should not, yeah, he liberated Mosul. He, 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 he had a big role on liberating Mosul. He left uh, two amazing babies behind have you ever considered quitting your job because of the loss no never uh actually you know like uh, uh, thought about uh, quitting my job you know because um i have to tell the stories you know i have to because also it's like a a, a bubble once you are in it it's so difficult to get out of that uh bubble you know like it's uh, uh you play politics also politics you see it as a as, as, like it's a small thing you know like right in front of you in a screen you can explain everything uh, because it's like chain you know like you're following it in you know, like from day one until today you know so uh and i never uh, also for my work as fixer it's it's uh, it's not boring. It's like stories every day, different stories. It's not like same chair, same table, same laptop, you know, like every day, you know, like same office. We are like um, here, there, you know, like Mosul, Kirkuk, you know, like Suleimania, Duhok, Raqqa, Deir Azur, you know, like. So uh, Baghdad, um, wherever there's like story, wherever there's like a, a story, we, we, we go for it. So that's why, you know, I'm, I never thought of quitting i'm yeah i like it i feel like that's the that, that that's the key to your work is that journalist currency is the ability to tell a story but you have the basic knowledge of just everything that's going on around you and you can see the trajectory of what is happening and that i think to go back to the adrenaline rush i think that's where you get your rush from i think that's probably Based on what you've said about like 73 cousins and constant interaction from a young age, moving around, I don't think you can stop. I don't think, no. <laughs> we, never, we never stop. <laughs> I no. mean, I don't mean to play your therapist here. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, uh, also, you know, like when I get some days uh, off, I, or when I have, uh, especially after uh, Russia, Ukraine, you know, like it's uh, uh, very common for us, like we get to spend like more time with our families. Mm. And... But once I have a little bit more days, I just go fishing, you know. So it's, it's good, you know, like, what did I miss? You know, like, I download them all, you know, like, to, to read, you know, like, when I fish, you know, like, or to listen, you know, like, and uh, so we never stop. Spend time with family, actual, yeah. like, quality time with family. Yeah, yeah, we do spend time with family. It's good nowadays, you know, like, because back then during the war, you know, like, uh, it was it was not difficult uh, uh, it was sorry. It was not easy, you know, like uh, to control or to balance because literally you're getting like lots of phone calls, you know, like from international journals, you know, like from foreign journals, you know, like to go to the to work with them. And I had a daughter, you know, like once when I came back, 
she was like, she did not recognize me. Uh, she recognized my brother because he was at home, you know, like at that time, you know, like, and then I was like, okay, you know, like, this is not the right thing I'm doing, you know, like, so what if I go one day and never come back? Um, uh, yeah, we made a plan, you know, like to spend, you know, like I made a schedule to spend more time with them, you know, like, and thankfully it worked. Was that like a long conversation with your wife and your family? Or like, I mean, I feel like that's a conversation that has to start. There was like very... every single day serious conversation, yeah. you know, like with my parents, with my wife, you know, like yeah. where you are, you know, like, because, you know, like, I mean, we also, we were not like doing only frontline stories, you know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, there are like tons of stories behind the frontline in the places which are liberated. So sometimes, honestly, I was lying to them, you know, like to my parents and to my wife because I was telling them I'm not in the frontline. But when I was coming back, you know, like, uh, they check my phone or something like that. Yeah, you know, they, like can they, see, they, they, they can see where you are. They can see, you know, like, they, they could see everything, you know, so... Sometimes uh, it was true that I was not in the front line, but the next assignment, I'm at the front line. Yeah. So. They can put that together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, they, they don't understand, you know, like between both stories, you know, like, but you called me for the other one and you are not asking me for this one, <laughs> you know, so. But you figured out a balance. I did. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was not easy because, you know, like you don't, you also have to cancel lots of assignments, mm -hmm. like when you're with them and if you go to the assignments you know like they need to be with you you know like i need to be with them so yeah it was not easy there's a difference i'd like to explore between uh, your work in mosul and syria you became established in mosul in part because of your uh your inherent connection uh with the city from growing up in it uh, and on top of that there is, um, I feel, a certain amount of resolution that has come with Mosul's story. There's a trajectory of liberation, and now slowly there there is a rebuilding process that is happening. But that uh, that resolution doesn't exist the same way with Syria. Um, well, uh, Mosul uh, got great coverage mm -hmm. because Mosul, uh, in terms of the coverage, was very lucky because of its geographical. Uh, location, you know, like it was very close to Erbil, you know, like an Erbil airport was opening, but while well, access to Syria and working in Syria, you know, like it was very difficult, you know, like I mean, the the, the only way to go to Syria was like uh, going through uh, uh, Kurdistan, you know, and all other areas, you know, like surrounding them, you know, like the, the enemies, you know, like you cannot even see them, you know, like once you are there, you know, like if you get there, so um, Mosul is doing good in terms of rebuilding nowadays. They have budget. The Iraqi government, it's like, it's about like, I think it's about like political stability, you know, like mm -hmm. also in Iraq versus Syria, you know, like because in Syria, you know, like they don't have that. The budget, you know, like, or it's, I, I think of, uh, uh, journalists fairly worked on Syria also about the destruction, about the human resources, you know, like there about services, about everything and security, but it's political, uh, internal political problems, you know, like uh, is a barrier for uh, Syria to be, well, like the, the, the uh, North and East uh, Syria Authority, they're trying their best, you know, like to 
get international community, you know, mm-hmm. like to talk, to, to work on it. But still, like Syria also has uh, its own political problems internal. And to go back to your connection to Mosul, that connection doesn't necessarily exist for you in the same way with Syria. Because, first of all, it's, it's a border away. It's much more logistically complicated for you to access. Uh, and on top of everything, that situation is still ongoing. So how do you reconcile that distance when fixing in a different country? Um, uh, for me, you know, like growing up in Mosul, it's uh, uh, one of the things which we really always appreciate is uh, we're close to Duhok, we are close to Erbil. Mm-hmm. We are also close to Sinjar. We also close to, to uh, Syria, you know, like so. Uh, we Kurds from Mosul, like uh, we listen to all uh, types of music, you know, like we listen to music from uh, North and East Syria, from Rojava, mm. Yazidi uh, uh, musics, you know, like we listen from musics in Kurdistan, you know, like so we all, so we, we get the language, you know, like easily. So for me, it was not that difficult to to speak the accent, you know, like in, in, uh, in North and East Syria, for me, it was not difficult, like to understand whatever they say in like uh, 100% because I grew up listening to the songs, you know, like from Rojava. Um, uh, making contacts there, it was uh, something that uh, uh, very easy, you know, like just like you you meeting people, like doing interviews and stuff like that, and also you know like uh, uh, fixers. We help each other with contacts. Mm-hmm. When I go to North and East Syria, you know, like I have fixers, they help me. You know, like I mean, I, I also help them there. You know, like so we help each other. You know, like to, to share contacts, talk to to the authorities or to to civilians. And, uh, uh, yeah, I remember, like, one of the times I went there, uh, before I even go to the hotel, I went to the uh, uh, grave of uh, my f- favorite singer in, in Rojava, you know, like Mohammed Sheikho, because uh, I grew up, you know, like, listening to him. Do you still have connections with the people there? Is, is it difficult uh, to maintain those connections? Of course, yeah, we're still in touch, you know, like with people in North and East Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk, we are friends. And, uh, well, recently I had like some problems, you know, like reporting there, but it's, uh, it's still like uh, going on, you know, like I can't go back, you know, like, I mean, uh, to be honest, the SDF also like is, is uh, helpful, you know, like when you're there and you ask for them, you know, like for their connections you know mm-hmm. and and for their support you know like sometimes it's it gets like uh, uh, difficult there but it really depends on who is there you know like who's taking it who's taking who you talking to you know like so uh, uh, because you know like being a fixer in Iraq is totally different than being a fixer in in Syria, mm-hmm. or being a fixer in in the UK or the state or in Ukraine, yeah, it's like different governments, different states, different uh, rules and stuff. But it was uh, uh, it was always okay. We always got access. We always got uh, uh, we always worked in in northern East Syria. We're still in touch. We are friends. You know, like um, 
right now, you know, like I have a fixer friend, you know, like from Rojava, he's here, you know, like we met a couple days ago, you know, like, um, yeah, it's for me, it's it's very good, you know, like having contacts there. Mm -hmm. Also, not only, you know, like authorities and, and fixers and local journalists there. For example, like I drive through a village. I don't know anyone in this village, you know, like, so just take a photo of one of the shops, you know, like, which has, like, the phone number, then call him and introduce yourself, you know, like, in case you need anything, you know, like, in that village. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it gets, like, weird for them, you know, like, they just, like, <laughs> an Iraqi guy, you know, like, talking in Iraqi accent, you know, like, uh, you know, because our village there and introduce himself, you know, like, maybe he talked to us, if anything, why not? Was this like it's weird for them, and then, yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it's not. You know, like so, it's it's really like yeah. It's just a matter of like just constantly putting yourself out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you don't know, you know. I mean, one of the cases that, uh, in this village, this happened. So who to contact? I mean, just search the like, village. You know, yeah. like the name of the village and the phone. You know, like just call on and like, and then, you know, what's exactly going on? You know. Do you ever call a number and the person doesn't pick up and you find out later that they've been killed or 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 disappeared or something like that? Has that that happened? happened a lot. Yeah. That happened a lot to me, especially during uh, uh, Muslim liberation. Yes. Mm. I mean, I was even in touch with uh, Lieutenant Marwan, you know, like I remember we were like doing a short documentary, you know, like for one of the media outlets and... Uh, we were following the Iraqi army. Lieutenant Marwan was with the Golden Division, with the CTS. Mm -hmm. um, so once our batteries, you know, like after two or three days was running out of charge, we were coming back to the base. And Marwan was like constantly coming back to the base, going to, to the fight and you know, like coming back, you know. So I contacted him. I was like, tonight we might come back, you know, like to the house because we want to charge our phones. He was like, okay, you know. And we came back, Marwan didn't, and then he never came back. Have you ever spoken to a doctor um, or have you, have you ever faced issues with, with PTSD? This is uh, so sad that we fixers, you know, like, I mean, we just like got only one HIFA training and like security first aid training and like well, uh, uh, I mean we need more to be honest because even if we work like with some media outlets when they have security advisors, what if like the thing happened to the security advisor? So I am there, not not even me. You know, like if if we have a driver, a local driver, even that driver should know stuff, should know how to use the sat phone and you know, like first aid. You know, like who to contact, you know, it's not like a tool, you know, like <laughs> being used, you know, like, and then thank you. Goodbye. Well, n n not, they don't, we're not being used to as a tool, to be honest, you know, like, but I mean, it's uh, what, what we have, you know, like it's all through experiences, you know, like for the Thursday stuff, you know, like, uh, I mean, for me, experiences before and during the war, you know, like I always had a backpack you know, with mm -hmm. uh, not always, you know, like, but a backpack with uh, first aid kit, you know, like, especially when I was with uh, Sagar and those guys, you know, like, because it was like a little bit uh, brutal fightings. Uh, 
uh, also lots of, yeah, for civilians, we were using them. I did not get any uh, uh, PTSD uh, uh, courses or uh, lectures, you know, but uh, I think we were okay, you know, like um, the only thing I was like just talking about death and killing and bombs and stuff like that in a place which is not supposed to be, to be talking to, you know, I uh, think that was like uh, the only thing. I had, you know, like, and uh, that's, I think that was the PTSD we had, you know, like, uh, and uh, at that time, for example, like, I just recently came back from, from the Scotland and UK, you know, like, I can't, I can't just approach anyone, you know, like, and talk to, because the things I'm, I'm going to talk to about, like, politics, you know, like, wars and stuff like that. I don't think it's convincing for this person, you know, like, or that. So it's just like always walking alone, you know, like until I meet my friends, you know, like, uh, yeah, for PTSD, uh, I think uh, the, the only, the, the, the other good thing about uh, fixers is like, we also focus a lot during the interview about the translation, you know, like, I mean, sometimes. Uh, write notes, you know, like just to translate it like properly, you know, like or sometimes just like record it and then translate it because you just want to to know what he or she's saying, you know, so that's why you don't go too deep into the like you think about the words, you, you don't think about like, yeah, 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 and uh, 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 that's why we forget, like, we forget like many stories that. Uh, we worked on, we forget because it was just like translated, you know. And well, and the constant psychological impact of that, you have to forget some of it. Like the and, and the focusing on the technical process of the interview as well probably helps with that. I would imagine. It does. It does. Uh, yeah, you know, like you know, like you have to go back and forth. Yeah, exactly. You know, like when you yeah, do exactly. the interview, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so worry about the next checkpoint. You have to. Yeah, worry yeah, about yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we we had like lots. We always have lots of stuff to deal with, mm -hmm. so that's why you know, like. Uh, for, yeah, I, I think PTSD. We should know more about it. You know, like I mean, we really should. You know, like know more about it because, yes, we got the experience out to, to, to interview like someone who lost like families and like family members and mm -hmm. stuff like that, or how to interview a survivor and like politely, you know, and uh, yeah, but. For PTSD, yeah, we do think a lot about it. Like, especially we fixers, you know, like when we meet, I think we are like, if someone, you know, like sitting next table, you know, like he thinks like we are traumatized, you know, like because. You have a perspective that no one else has. Yes, yeah, you like know, like the, the day, things not, we talk. It's an incredibly, because <laughs> we keep going back to this theme, but it's that push and pull of you have to continue to reach out to every single person you meet. And then at the same time, you have to understand that that is going to be an isolating experience because of the nature of your work. Yes. Like, that's just what it is. We can't, we can't, we can't be away from our work. I said it's like a chain, you know, like yeah. if you miss, if you miss uh, one uh, uh, day or two days of, What's going on? You know, like you miss a lot. Lifestyle. <laughs> That's a lifestyle. Yeah. It, it's it really become a light lifestyle. So, yeah, what he said. But I'm glad you yeah. you have a balance with your family. I'm glad you've established that. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing now. You know, like I mean, also, uh, 
during COVID was good. It was like uh, I I also you know like talked to one of the friends who wrote a book about Mosul. We worked together. It was like what's going on because everyone had like plenty of time, you know, and it was like it was like it's a good holiday for me. You know? <laughs> so, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, let's uh, you know what? Let's end this on the fishing club. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd love to hear you talk about that uh, because you've got all this other stuff going on too. And uh, you mentioned that you uh, have a group of about 20,000 fishers. Uh, more than 20,000. Yeah. When did you first get into that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because I'm originally from, my parents are originally from like Nineveh Plains mm-hmm. and we had like a river and like close by. So I was going there and I like, and I liked fishing. Then, um, I was going to fish on uh, Mosul uh, Lake, you know, like close to Duhok. Then I was seeing all the, the plastic bottles left behind, you know, like, or some guys are like poisoning the the lake, you know, like to get some fish, you know, like, or I remember back in, in uh, after 2003, you know, like uh, lots of people, you know, like they took uh, powders and fuses, you know, like from Saddam Hussein bases, you know, like uh, military bases, you know, like, and they were bombing the rivers, you know, so uh, I first time I was like going to the lake, you know, like just for fishing, you know, like because it's a hobby, you know, like, and then I was like, no, this should be something else, you know, so I created a group, you know, like with some friends from Duhok, you know, like from all tribes in Duhok and the fishermen. Um, and uh, uh, a logo, and now we are like more than uh, 20K, you know, and it's all about awareness. It's not about just like go fishing, you know, like, oh, I catch this fish. It's about, please, guys, you know, like, don't throw your plastics, you know, like if you can plant a tree, you know, like don't poison, you know, like if you poison, we going to tell the authorities, you know, like the security. If you make a bomb, you know, like because... Mm. Uh, uh, because Mosul Dam itself has a problem, you know, like with leaking and, and oh, that yeah, dam, it's, that dam is a nightmare. Yeah, it's a nightmare, you it's know, a, like why are you bombing, you know? It's like so the California it's fall not, line. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like only about uh, yeah, it's it's everywhere, you know. Like so, I mean, for me, I I see it's like uh, it's it's one of the amazing things uh, because it's awareness. It's going to almost like uh, like 20,000 houses, you know, like about these things. Like we uh, we tell them about like the uh, climate change, you know, like environmental uh, problems we face if we don't do this, you know, like, and yeah. Well, I'm glad that you've established yourself a nice hobby with 20,000 people. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You know, like actually I'm not managing the group right mm-hmm. now because... It went uh, bigger, you know, like, uh, (laughs) yeah, so my friends are, they, 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 they managing it, you know, like, uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's good. I like it. I like those guys. I miss them. Uh, yesterday it was about to go, but they checked the wind. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was like 14. Oh, really? (laughs) Per hour, you know, so it was like, it's not a good day, you know, like, that's why. Yeah, I was... The weather's starting yeah. to change, yeah. finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although it's finally. very hot in this podcast studio. Yeah. So... <laughs> it's good, though. Yeah, so, it's not yeah, too bad. Yeah, 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 exactly. We'll miss it soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad that we could end it on fishing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd really like to thank you for coming in. Sure. Thank uh, you. And I appreciate the time you've given me today. So. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Cheers.
My sincere thanks to Sangar for his time and insight. It was really a pleasure. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network. You can listen to this episode on our website, kurdistanin.net, as well as on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. So be sure to subscribe there as well. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. <laughs>